0: However, standing by right now, is the one and the only, Sean Mooney, who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. (laughs) After he threw him off
1: through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. Uh, Well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> Who else could it be?
0: Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot.
1: Hello, everybody, once again, and welcome to PTSM. A lot happened this past week. We had a great AMA on Sunday, Ask Mooney Anything, and it's great to check in with all of our tremendous Primetime with Sean Mooney Patreon members. Uh, great to hear everybody's enjoying all of the content we've been putting up there, uh, the bonus episodes and, uh, you know, uh, a big part of it all, uh, your questions. I tell you, this this is really, I love this part of the podcast now, uh, where we have this Q&A session with whoever the guest is on the program. Because I'm telling you, I mean, it, these questions these, that everybody's been submitting, have really brought out some uh, golden nuggets uh, really I'm not kidding and especially like the last couple episodes we have you know where I've, I've pretty much covered a lot in that conversation but there's always something you know I don't I, I miss a few things where it's a, a completely random question that uh, just triggers a memory in them and we've had some really really great answers and uh, only our patreon members get a chance to hear that though it's uh, it's just uh, been a really great uh, a really 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 great addition to what we're doing with patreon and uh you know folks if, uh, if you haven't become a member man uh, you're missing a lot and uh, may is a great time to join we, we have so many things happening uh, it's really easy all you have to do is go to patreon.com primetime Mooney that's patreon.com slash primetime mooney and become a prime timer a mooney or just uh, One of the uh, elite, the Legion of Who. I love that. Uh, Depending on uh, when you're listening to this, we are about three weeks away also from StarCast. It all begins in Las Vegas on May 22nd. That's when I'm going to be arriving there in Sin City. And I'm really looking forward to being a a big part of it. Uh, Really excited about that. And uh, Team PTSM, Uh, we're all going to be there. Uh, Casey, Jerome Beck, and also Evan Polisher. Uh, who are uh, such a big part of uh, bringing you our podcast every weekend and all the great content that you get to uh, be a part of on Patreon. We're going to be doing uh, interviews there. Uh, We're going to shoot a lot of video. I know Casey's excited about that, uh, to share with all of you guys, our Patreon members. And uh, it is going to be a lot of fun. If you're going to be there, guys, uh, you know, anybody. I mean, be sure to track us down and say howdy. We'd love to meet you, and we'll take some pics that we can put up. As I mentioned, May is a great time to become a Patreon member because uh, we've got, first of all, a great watch along that's happening this Sunday, May 5th, with Diana Hart Smith. Uh, we've done a podcast with her, but uh, we are extending our experience with uh, the Hart family. Uh, Diana is going to join us Sunday, and we are going to watch SummerSlam 92 and that match between Davey Boy and Brett the Hitman Hart. And. Uh, You know, she talked about it in the podcast, but I know when she's watching it, it's going to bring back a flood of memories, and you really don't want to miss it. Uh, That's happening this Sunday, uh, May 5th. If you are a uh, Mooney or if you're a Legion of Who member, you get to watch it absolutely free, Uh, folks. Otherwise, you can join us. Uh, All you have to do is go to primetimemooneylive.com. That's primetimemooneylive.com. Uh, Don't miss your chance to be a part of it. I want to thank everybody who uh, continue to support the program. Uh, Believe me, it helps out a lot. Uh, Two big ways to do it, of course, through Patreon. Um, Also, please support our sponsors. Uh, They are are really good to us, and uh, it helps us keep doing what we're doing. And uh, why not uh, get yourself an awesome T-shirt from the PTSM collection. You can do that by going to MooneyTees.com. That's MooneyTees.com. All righty, coming off an episode with Chris Chavez, Tatanka, a man who not only became a superstar in the WWE, but also someone who has done a lot to raise awareness and pride uh, of a, Native Americans here in our country, uh, those that uh, like professional wrestling. He uh, really has done them proud over the years. And uh, you talk about an engaging person. I think Evan uh, said, you know, it, 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 of all of our guests, didn't it? I mean, he's like this guy who's just like all in. I mean, I think you can tell from the conversation uh, that he is uh, and, and still still so passionate about what he accomplished during his time on the big stage of professional wrestling, but also what he's done since and continues to do. I, I really enjoyed that conversation with Chris Chavez. I want to thank him for coming on this week. We've got another one of those guests who you probably uh, don't know uh, a lot about, you know, his name, but, um, you know, he never became a super superstar. Uh, did spend some time in the WWE, but um, not a lot. And uh, But he's known for some of his other accomplishments. And, and regardless, uh, he is someone who had a tremendous career and has a fascinating story to tell. Uh, really, uh, from the time that uh, he hung around a group of men who would become royalty in professional wrestling. And I'm talking about uh, a group of uh, men who uh, all grew up in the Minneapolis area. And uh, became some of the biggest names of professional wrestling We'll get into that uh, till an uh, Also to an ill-fated trip in North Korea He talks about to drag out brawls in Japan and, and so much more Hey, trust me You are going to love hearing my conversation With Scott Norton So, what do you say? Let's get to it Ding, ding, ding Well, folks, you know There have been big men in professional wrestling There have been strong men and there have been tough men, but there have uh, few that have done more during a career with all three of those qualities in and out of the ring than my guest this week here on the podcast. He's got a new book coming out called Scott Norton, Strong Style. Scott, welcome to Primetime. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor.
1: Well, you know, uh, before we really dive into this, uh, I mentioned the book. Uh, what finally got you to write one?
0: Well... It's just, uh, it was my wife's idea Uh years ago and it was the story goes is me, my wife and Jeff Farmer, NWO sting were on tour in Japan and, uh, they kept hammering on me about doing a book and I says, I'm the last guy to do a book. And then they just keep telling me about this, you know, this story here, this story here. And you know, I've, I've, I've done some crazy ass stuff in my life and I've, you know, I, I uh, was a professional arm wrestler first, and that was yeah. a wild run for a long time. And and it went into my professional wrestling career, and I had success at the highest level at both. Yeah. And it, it's just, uh, you know, they talked me into it, and then once I did it, I wasn't all in it at the start of it either. I mean, it was <laughs> it was it was kind of crazy, man. I mean, it's hard to talk for me to talk about myself. Uh uh-huh. But after we got going after a while and it started coming together, it was just, it was awesome. I really enjoyed doing it. Uh, me and Adam Randis, the author, he's, he's an absolutely, was is amazing. He's uh, turned out to be a tremendous friend. And uh, he did a great job on my book. And uh, it's a great story. I mean, when you explain yourself and your life, mm. To somebody and, and it doesn't seem that exciting, but when a great author gets a hold of it, a writer and puts it in the words and and it's so much better. And the thing about it is that everybody that reads it re, has read my book. Mm-hmm. They say Scott, it's like you're telling the story to me. It's like you're reading it to me. Uh, this, you know, Adam is amazing. And I says, I'm telling you, man, <laughs> I, mean, I was so fortunate to. Uh, for the connection with him and it's just it's been a wild ride man it's uh it's turned out to really be worth it it's been a long hard road it took a lot you know seven years to get this book done but uh it's it's worth it it's been it's good, and it's really getting fun now mm. you know we got the pre-sale f- for the special edition out right now and then I'm um, releasing in Las Vegas at uh the big match on May 25th mm. and uh you know, I'm
1: just, I'm fired up. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, you mentioned that uh, I'm referring to StarCast and um, Double or Nothing yeah. in, in Las Vegas, and that is going to be a great event. I'm going to be there as well. Um, Good. And, and a lot of folks excited about hearing this story, uh, Scott. And I, and probably even before, you know, as you got into there's probably a lot of things you just maybe even forgot along the way. And then, uh, you know, uh, oh. we're able to relive a lot of those stories. But well, uh, I
0: mean... That is true. I mean, and yeah. that's what's so wonderful about it awesome yeah. because you get to, you know, me and Rick Root have a history. I go so far back in my arm wrestling career, to, you know, we're seventh, seventh grade kids, you know, arm wrestling the cafeteria for ice cream sandwiches, <laughs> and, you know? And, yeah. and one day I was walking, cutting through the gym, going home and I seen Rick you know, a guy hiding. He was hiding behind his wrestling match.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And I asked him, I says, Rick, what the hell are you doing? He says, well, these guys are waiting for me to kick my ass. You know, there's four or five of them. Hmm. And I said, I don't think they mess with the both of us. Let's just go. And we walked out of there together, and we turned into best friends. Oh, wow. And, you know, me and him, you know, we kind of both grew up that day. Uh. And it started there with my arm wrestling. That's when we actually started arm wrestling, you know. Wow. And then, you know, thirty some years later he's a I mean, uh you talk about superstars. I yeah, mean, Rick yeah. took it all the way to the very top. And I mean yeah. and it's just been amazing, you know, and he's, the, the the way my story, you know, with me and Hawk and Kurt and Minneapolis and you know, my accomplishments in the gym and you know, the reputation I had with you know I was a bodyguard for this musician guy up there. I did some, you know, I just got a great story, you know, and, it's, <laughs> and 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 I wasn't confident in doing it till I got such, you know, I mean it was just a
1: a great break for
0: me, you know. <laughs> I've been in the yeah. right place at the right time a yeah. lot of times. Yeah, I and like I the way like, you
1: refer to that uh, bodyguard for some guy up in Minneapolis. I think you're referring to Prince, but we'll we'll get hey, into that.
0: Hey, I didn't say that. <laughs> hey, I, you know some. All I know is when I bought a house, yeah. it wasn't even near as much paperwork as I did working for that guy.
1: Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, they make sure you don't, I mean, I ain't saying a word about it. Uh, Conan oh, got uh, me on my last, my last podcast about it, so. And I haven't heard anything yet from the lawyers, so I'm just kind of floated out there a little bit.
1: <laughs> well, that's good. Um, yeah, and I, I will ask you about that, but um, you mentioned Rick Rude, and uh, we talk about Minneapolis. And it, it, it's just, it's incredible to me when you hear the story of like how this all laid out, because um, it was a a hotbed for professional wrestling. And, th- and that made some sense, because Vern Gagne was, was based there with AWA, but when you think about it, and, and people, you know, I've had many guys on the podcast, many that went to Robbinsdale uh, High School, but you, you think about the people that were there at that time who became these incredible, some of the, I mean, the the best professional wrestlers in history, uh, many of them. Um, and, and you mentioned, uh, you know, mentioned Hawk, Mike Hegstrand, and, and then also there was Joe Laurinaitis was there, Kurt Hennig. Oh. Uh, and these were just, like, were these just your you know high school guys that you knew? I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, and,
0: and and you know when you when you look back at that and yeah. you just sit there and you go, you know, we you know we were big guys, so you yeah. know the drinking age wasn't you know you had to wait till twenty one up there then you know but we all got the bars we all yeah. you know we were, you know and they knew it and they let us in these places and I mean. But you look around and you see, you know, Kurt, then like Brad Reagan just, it, it was involved with the group at some of these places we're at. Barry, Barry Darso, yep. John Nord, Wayne yep. Bloom, Mike Enos, uh Khrushchev Krusnov or whatever, Al Blake.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, Scott Simpson, Joe, then you go, you know, Hawk, Rude. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it
1: really it's just amazing and I and I I know you went to Henry, uh, but yeah. I, I mean explain to me kind of where they were they, was it were they rival high schools and then you oh, guys yeah. played sports so that's how you got to know them how did, no, the, we did you know play
0: sports gets them we duped it out with them mean hawk <laughs> me and hawk went to, to Minneapolis Henry yeah. and the rest of those guys either went to Robinson or Cooper, uh-huh. which is the two high schools. Next to the north side of Minneapolis, we're in the Minneapolis district. Those guys were the cake eaters out in the suburbs. They had it easy. We, we were, we were in the blue collar.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. You
0: know, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I know. But, I uh, know you're ripping. No, oh, I mean, those guys were just as they had their. I mean, Minneapolis is a different place to grow up, but yeah. you know. And then me and Rick, Rick, was going to junior high school with me. Yeah. Then as we went into high school, his parents moved to Robbinsville. Then he went to Robbinsville. Uh-huh. So, but I mean, uh, yeah, we just, you know, we had a little rivalry with those guys and we were friends and it's uh it's a, wow. It's crazy. It's just yeah. nuts. I mean, you know, I remember my coming up to me one time in the locker room <clears throat> about four years when I was in the business in Japan, into my career. Mm -hmm. And he walks up, he goes, and I'm sitting there and I'm talking with, uh, I think, Brad Brad Armstrong. He goes, Scott. I says, yeah, Masa. He says, I need a Minnesota boy. Preferably Mm -hmm. Minnesota boy. Six foot two, 240, 250 pounds, good worker. Mm -hmm. You find me. I said, oh yeah, they're just hanging on trees up there, Masa. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But his mind, he says, just go get me one and bring him back.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I mean, I, you know, it's just the way it is, you know. And yeah. I mean, you know, he spent a lot of time up there. Massa's, you know, another person. That
1: yeah, within my
0: yeah, yeah, he's an amazing person. Yeah.
1: So when you guys are are growing up, and like you said, you were all big guys. Did you start uh, hanging out, lifting? And then, uh, and I, I don't know, did you guys all bounce together at these clubs? How did you guys get yeah. close? How did that, that, uh, that well, union? Well, me
0: and Hawk were just like high school buds. I mean, Mike, you can't find a more loyal friend yeah. Than, yeah. than Mike. And, you know, yeah. Rick was just like that, too. He was very mm-hmm. loyal. I mean, he... It didn't matter. He'd stay, you know, it just didn't matter. But me and Hawk, Hawk and me, you know, I was his big buddy. You know what I mean? Nords can do this. Nords, you know, Mike would, he, he was so, he was so proud of you. Hmm. And I mean, he was just the best. And we started, you know, hitting the gym. Everybody bounced at the grandma B's bar, a, a bar called grandma B's,
1: yep. which is yep. a
0: hell of a chapter in the book. And I mean, we we had a we had a main event staff, brother. I mean, we had Rude, Barry Darcel, John Nord, Joe Loretta's, Hawk. My, you know, I wasn't even busy. Hawk and myself, Wayne Blue. I mean, it was just nuts. Yeah. And I mean, you know, this place had eight nine bounces tonight. It was a two floor big. You know, we it was nicknamed Punch Palace. And believe me, nobody got out of line there either. That, that stuff it wasn't stopped. much trouble. <laughs> I mean, what do you, pick your poison, you know what I mean? Yeah, no kidding. And, uh, God, I mean, that was a hell of a joint to work at. And yeah. we had a blast there. And Tony Benacasa was the best guy in the world to work for. I mean, he ran like a mob joint, man. I mean, uh, he would take us to the market barbecue, after after you know probably about two two thirty in the morning, and I mean, the spreads it was it, it looked like you know the Flintstone steaks up there <laughs> and the ribs. I mean, I'm serious, <laughs> and it, I mean it was just you know and he just take care of you and he he, yeah. was, he was the greatest guy to work for, and I mean back then he was paying the boys way more than any other place. Uh-huh. out there, you know, cause he knew that he, you know, you know, when Hawk and Joe took off the way they did and Kurt, Kurt never bounced. Kurt wasn't mm-hmm. in part of that deal. Yeah. Kurt was already, you know, he was not Mr. perfect, but he was, he was AWA and he was rolling brother. Yeah. yeah. And everybody was so proud of those guys, man. When we're, you know, and it just, you know, it's a, it's crazy that I didn't start the business when everybody else did, but it, I wasn't ready for it. I, I'm, it worked out for me so much better to wait till I got done doing my arm wrestling, and getting getting all the crazy crap out of the way. You know, mm-hmm. was a little wild.
1: <laughs> well, so these guys, uh, as we mentioned, you know, uh, uh, Mike and Joe Laurinaitis <laughs> and Kurt, and and they they kind of ended up going uh, into the world of professional wrestling. Uh, you took another path with the arm wrestling and. How did that get serious? Uh, where Were you just, did it start where, uh, I don't know, you know, you'd be at a bar or something and somebody would say, hey, you know, arm wrestle or, no, or and that, then, you, how did that happen?
0: Well, what happened is when I was just 18 years old,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I was working with my dad's concrete crew, Norton's sons, uh-huh. and, you know, we're just, you know, hardworking guys, I was, out there working, my dad was twelve years old, swinging a sixteen, twenty pound sledgehammer and wheeling. You know, just doing what I could. You know, and I mean, we got strong big time. And I mean, mm-hmm. my family—both my brothers are powerhouses—and we. Are, and I started arm wrestling with Rick. You know, in high school, or junior high school. So there's this big tournament down at this bar called Moby Dick's downtown at Adirondack Avenue. And I heard about it. You know, it was advertised everywhere. But I was only 18, just turned 18 and I, you know, I couldn't get in the bar, but we did know Clarence Thomas. No, it wasn't Clarence Thomas, Clarence Kramer, Clarence Kramer. Mm -hmm. And he was a, the dude had a rep downtown. He's a big time, you know, he had, he had a rep. He was a badass guy. And, uh, they had this armrest tournament and I went and I got in, you know, Clarence let me in the bar. And I ended the tournament, and uh, as a matter of fact, I arm wrestled Clarence for the the championship that night. Yeah. And there was a lot of big fellas in there, you know. And I mean, I just blew them away. I mean, just <laughs> it was it just started right there. I mean, I fl- I flashed everybody within. I mean, nobody even lasted a second. I probably had about eight nine matches. So, anyways, a guy named Steve Hill who was associated with Ed White from the Minnesota Vikings, who was the NFL arm wrestle championship, had a tournament at the state fair called the five-state championship. And that yeah. wasn't until August. This was June. Yeah. But they told me to go to the state championship, but then, you know, hit the upper Midwest. So I went state championship, did the same thing. Went to upper Midwest championship, did the same thing, just blew everybody away. And that was a two-day tournament with a lot of guys. So next thing you know, I'm on my way to Las Vegas to world championships in, in September. And nobody's even gotten close to me. And, uh, I, I thought I was going there and just blow it away, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: But I went on too, <laughs> I got my ass handed to me and I, you know, it was just, that's where I hit the wall, you know, but I uh-huh. enjoyed it. So yeah. I started staying with it and, uh. Next year, you know, I trained a little bit and I started trying to take it a little bit more serious. And I was beating, winning all the local stuff, and I was winning, you know, some upper Midwest tri-state stuff, you know, West Coast champ stuff like this. Yeah. Went to the nationals, got beat. Went to the worlds, got beat. But I was starting to place. Mhm. And then I ran into Cleve Dean.
1: Yeah,
0: boy. In Detroit, in 1980, brother, 600 pound big farmer that was enormous. His hand was size of a freaking saw or a volleyball when he made a fist. It was just huge. Yeah. And, uh, I pulled him that day and he beat me pretty easily. I mean, real easy. And he laughed at me and Hawk was with me. Oh, and Hawk said, you you know, he got mad and I was pissed. And, Mm. uh, I came through the back door of the loser's bracket, won all my matches, and I got him again in the final, and he beat me again did it again. Uh And, man, I was pissed. And me and Hawk, Hawk said, you got to start taking this serious. And I'm serious. Mike was all over me. You know, you can't let this happen to us. We can't go home and tell anybody about this, you know. Right, right. And, uh, I, I mean, I started training and I mean, I started really concentrating on beating Cleveland. He just, he pissed me off. And I mean, it really put a, lit a fire into my ass, you know, and it took me six years and I kept getting closer and closer. And, uh, finally, you know, the big one, the most legendary tournament we ever had in this sport. I just blew him away, man. I mean, it was just
1: freaking awesome. You know, and so is there... Just, yeah but Scott is there real uh, a real science to this because not only I mean of course you were incredibly strong but you is there more uh, to it than that I mean you, you said you had to well, train you know, and I imagine it was more than just getting stronger because you know Cleve Dean was this guy who was just was just a huge enormous human being but is what, what is the science behind it I mean there's more to it than well, just being
0: you know, strong. The, to me that's the way I did it I mean nobody's ever beat me that wasn't better than me that day. Mm. You know what I mean I never got out yeah. technique on the table. Never. Mm. If you got if you could power through me and beat me, you powered through me and beat me. When I got to to Vegas and when I that two year period, the greatest arm wrestlers in the world, I was toying with them. Mm. They were trying absolutely everything with me. Mm. And I was playing with him. And I mean that, you know, they consider him the greatest arm muscle of all time, Johnny Brzezink. Yeah. And I toyed with him. I toyed with Johnny. And he has every, he can hook, roll, top roll, side pressure. He could do everything he wants. But he couldn't do it to me because I was so strong, none of it worked.
1: Oh, wow.
0: So arm wrestling to me was sheer power. And I had a a start that was it was like a an explosion man I mean it was I was violent on the table I mean and you know I just Cleve was so big and his hand was so powerful he could stop me. Mm-hmm. Nobody else could at that time mm-hmm. and then you know I just kept training kept power you know I mean I was going nuts in the gym. And I got so strong that he couldn't he couldn't handle my initial blast and I mean I just popped, blew him right out. Wow. And then you know, it was my time. And yeah. but I you know, there's a lot of guys, they sit there and it's it's our Muslim's at a great place right now. There's so many tournaments that's on T V and you hear these guys and they're talking about the side pressure and all these different they sound like their doctors doing a tricep <laughs> replacement surgery or some shit. Uh, right.
1: uh, and
0: I mean, and they're brilliant. They they, they yeah. got every, you know, they're talking about their finger placement. I mean, just all this crap. Uh, but, you know, like when you get in a fight and you get punched in the nose and all of a sudden, oh, that's out the window. You yeah, yeah. I mean? I just got, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that's what happens on the table. Uh-huh. When you get up there, okay, like Michael Todd right now or Devin Larritz and you hook up, I'm sure of it. You know, and, and all of a sudden, you feel that, and you go, hmm. I mean, if you ain't done your homework, and you, and you ain't got your ass as strong as you can get it, you're going to get beat. And that's it. You know, and I mean, it's still a sport where, you know, that heart desire, If you don't, if you don't man up and just, you know, give it every last, I mean, when you're, It's different, you know, I mean, it's a test of strength between two dudes on the table, man, that it's hard to explain the rush and the feeling you get and respect. I mean, you know, I never disrespected guys on the table. I didn't show them up. I just, you know, I blew guys out and I tried to be as cool about it as I could and everything. You know, I didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's a respect deal. And there's something about it that's, it's awesome. You know, I mean. It just, it was a great sport. I loved it. And it was something yeah. that really worked for me. And, and it was, I wanted to take it as far as I could, you know, and I did.
1: Uh, well, and, and your, uh, your nickname was flash. So, I mean, as you've explained, it's, that's how fast you put people down and, and you won over what, yeah. what, 30 championships along the way. Uh, how big yeah. of a sport was it then, uh, I mean, I remember as a kid, you'd see it once in a while. It'd be on, you know, like Wide World of Sports or something. It did get did get some major coverage, but how how big of a sport was it at the time? It
0: wasn't, you know, it was it it it, it wasn't a, a huge sport. It was just it was us, you know. It was just yeah. the same top guys, but with this tournament with, with the over the top with the movie and everything. Yep. They, they went to so many different countries. There were so many qualifiers worldwide. They brought the guys from Japan. They brought the guy from Russia. They brought, you know, they brought, they made it a legit world tournament. Yeah. And now, I mean, it didn't take off. If arm wrestling had took off like it, it is now, I might not have left for wrestling.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, right now it's... you can actually maybe make a, a pretty good, I mean, okay. Put it this way, Scott Norton in today's arm wrestling at my peak, my prime. I'd, I'd, I'd do very well as far as financially. But back then, it, there was something that I needed besides, Yeah, you know, I mean, I wasn't going to work in for the rest of my life and be an arm wrestler and be happy with that. Financially, it, with my, you know, career choices, you know, and professional wrestling, you know, took me away from my arm wrestling career, but that's okay. You know, I did what I had to do. I wish I could go back and and start competing in the Masters again, but I killed myself in the ring for too damn long. And yeah, yeah, you know, we we pushed through a lot of serious injuries and kind of left me. You know, that's not an
1: option no more. Yeah, but you had uh, some great success there, and, and as you mentioned, you did beat uh, Cleve Dean. And uh, uh, tell me about that experience with the movie, though. Uh, how did how did you get involved? Uh, did you spend much time around Sylvester Stallone. I mean, what was that experience yeah. like?
0: Uh, it was awesome. You know, mm-hmm. when I found out about the movie over the top, it was 1984 mm-hmm. and I was an amateur, you know, professional arm wrestler, but just doing the construction thing and, you know, bouncing and, you know, picking up a, you know, a, a arm wrestling championship here or there, whatever. But it was nothing serious. You know what I mean? It was, it yeah. was, just, it was something I loved to do, and I, I worked hard at it. But when the movie came, when they said there's going to be a movie, and this tournament was going to be the biggest tournament ever, prize money is going to be the biggest prize money ever, I got serious. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I took two years. I stopped. I didn't compete in any tournaments. Okay, it was 18 months. Mm-hmm. And I just set my sights. I'm going to beat Cleve. I'm going in there and I'm going to be the best Scott Norton ever. And I did that. And then the movie was set. So, it was so cool to be, you know, with what we're doing at the, the stages and, and what, you know, a normal arm wrestling term, you know, just it was chairs, people and arm wrestling table and, you know, your role. But this yeah. was this was like you know it was awesome and <laughs> to compete there you know that's loans all over the place all these movie stars the movies rolling that's you know these qualify I had, I did have to qualify it and they begged me to go to the East Coast because they didn't want me to wrestle on the West Coast because they didn't want they wanted to keep me like they wanted to keep it quiet I guess I, for whatever reason. So I went to New York. Uh-huh. You know, I met Chuck Norris, Stallone, and they were awesome people. <laughs> yeah. Stallone was cool, so. <laughs> And uh, being And being a part of that, it was just unbelievable. Also, you know? I trained, I mean, I was training for eight months, and I started a year to go before the tournament. I was getting a little crazy with it, but uh, it was unbelievable. It was, a, it was a great experience.
1: Yeah, and, you know, and, and it's uh, as much in life, uh, opportunity comes along, and, and it uh... – many ways, changed your life. Uh, you, you you know, new opportunities came along, and then uh, you entered the world of professional wrestling. Was it that close in time when that all started to happen, and then you ended up going to Japan? Well, when I
0: you see the thing about what how I initially got my feelers out in Japan, I was in Japan with the movie Over the Top. Mm-hmm. And a New Japan represent, rep, representative came to me and says, we would like to have you be a pro wrestler. Mm-hmm. We know you know, Hawk, we know all the guys, and they all thought, you know, they and they were kind of like pitching this to me, and I'm going, wow, you know. Well, mm-hmm. back then, we didn't have cell phones. We just couldn't pick the phone and and call anybody. So, you know, I tracked down Hawk I, about two, three weeks later. I says, Hawk. I says, Mike. He goes, yes, yeah, Scotty. You know, we're talking, hi, Ben, all that crap. I mean, catching up because, you know, we didn't see each other hardly anymore. Yeah. And I says, hey, man, is New Japan Pro Wrestling a good company? He says, why? I said, well, (laughs) they they kind of, they offered me a deal. Uh, This is exactly what he said. He says, effing, if you don't take this, nerds, I'll effing kill (laughs) you. Well. (laughs) I says, okay, and uh, he says, oh, he says, it's a great company. Uh And, you know, and he just said, you really, really need to do this, Scott. It's, you know, it's time. And Mm -hmm. I agreed with him, you know, I says, because, you know, I mean, it just wasn't for me then. And when I started training for you know, they wanted me to go to Brad Reagan's camp, and I went to Brad, you know, and I got in this camp and started working, and they wanted me to, you know, get some TV exposure and get out there and learn. It was, you know, work. So I did, you know, and I ended up starting with AWA for a short period of time. And then, uh, had a couple other things. I ended up going up. I don't know if you ever heard of the Tony Candelo tour up in Canada and Winnipeg. I'm sure you have. Yeah. Have you heard about that? No, no. (laughs) Oh, this is, this is, it's unbelievable. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's a six, eight week tour uh and you ride around in a school bus. That's got the ring truck in it, (laughs) but you go, have you ever seen ice road truckers?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, they drive the same damn roads to these Indian refugees (laughs) up there and they only can do it in the middle of winter. It's all frozen. Yeah. Right. But I I did that, and that—that's a whole chapter in the book. That's unbelievable. It's a great chapter. I I mean, this is funny. Some crazy shit. So I did that tour that I ended up in Portland with Don Owens. And about eight months in Portland, you know, they got a tape. I sent them a tape, and they said, "Yep, you're ready." You know, they brought me in, and they kept their promise, and. It was awesome. You know, Moss yeah. society was, and what a great company to work for, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I know he became a, a great mentor for you, but uh, you, you started, I mean, what were you around 29, I think at this point or 28 when you, when yeah. this yeah. happened. So, I yeah. mean, you were already probably in pretty good shape still from what, uh, uh you know, Jack, done. Was but how, what was it like to, to make that transition into that world? I mean, was it, did you pick it right up or, or did it take you a while? No,
0: I, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I was a very athletic guy. I could uh, I could move? it was quick on my feet. Uh, going through camp, I, I, I felt that I picked it up. You know, I mean, I had some technique. You know, you got, <laughs> I don't know how to put it, but you know, I, the only thing that I had to worry about was was hurting somebody to be oh. honest with you because oh. I was a big guy that could move around quick. And, you know, I mean, uh, I was pretty physical at it, but,
1: be a, little uh, a little snug. Yeah, <laughs> more, more than a little. You see, <laughs> and, Did you hurt uh, a few along the way?
0: <laughs> uh, not, not one, but not bad. Nothing. Oh. No, I mean, I never put nobody out.
1: Yeah. I you got, live.
0: No, you know, I mean, one time I was wrestling Al Madrill in Portland and I could have swore, he said, uh, clothesline, he said, hip toss. And I just took his head off and I went to pick him up. He says, don't touch me. (laughs) I says, what? It was like red start. Don't touch me. And he's, and he actually counted himself out and left. (laughs) <laughs> so stuff like that. No, but yeah. but I went. It's a to learning Canada,
1: experience, perfect. right? It's got a learning absolutely.
0: Experience. <laughs> no, and you know, it was just you know, it came very easy to me. Mm-hmm. Pro wrestling. I mean, you know, let's face it. I, I'm not the the most technical wrestler of all time. You know, yeah. I was a very physical wrestler that, was, you know, hardcore style, and we, you know that's why New Japan was so perfect for me. And I mean, my first match in in New Japan, my partner was Brad Ragged and, uh, bad news. Uh, uh, good name. Big bad news Brown. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we were going to get Ricky Choshu. He was IWGP champ. And, uh, and Kinski, they're the tag champs. And Masa is telling me in the locker room, he says, when you hit somebody, if you don't knock them out, I'm going to be pissed. I'm going, what? Everything they've been hiding from me, worried about me doing in the States, now they want me to come out here 100% and just go off. Huh. And uh, I did. And I mean, for... I mean, I had Hase and Kitski out cold almost in that match. And Choshi was like, he was looking for a place to be. <laughs> He wanted out. A <laughs> good reason. But, yeah, it was, it was pretty wild.
1: Yeah. But that was a different uh, style over there. Uh, did you enjoy Absolutely. that experience That uh, uh, working for Masa and uh, that group over there? And how was it different than what uh, people here in the United States would understand? You know, in a sense that it's a very different crowd. And uh, uh-huh. they like their monsters.
0: Yeah, they did. But the, the crowds, it wasn't that they're that different. They were just, they didn't respond right away like they do here in the States. So you thought yeah. you weren't doing something right sometimes. Yeah. And. But once you get rolling, they're just, they're every bit as good as they are in the States. And uh, it was awesome working in Japan. As far as, you know, they expected a stronger style because of New Japan Pro Wrestling, strong style, King of Sports, Anoki. It was, uh, that was what they expected of you. And yeah. it was just, it was all right. You know, they, when I started, you know, going off in that match, they were, Hattori, great debut, you, beautiful. You know, it was like being in a freaking. The gladiator movie for crying out loud <laughs> yeah i mean it, honest i'm telling you it was just yeah, the world
1: yeah they're like and, shoot uh, matches
0: it, and you know if, you know i came out of a you know i mean an atmosphere where we were pretty wild guys you know i mean it was all right for you know and i remember, you know for about two years just you know it, we toned it down i started getting to know everybody, and I mean, you know, when we did TV matches, it was balls out. We were just going off. Huh. But you know, the house shows you started lighting it up and everything. Then eventually, Moss comes about two years after I started. He says, "Okay, now take it easy a little bit." And I'm going, "All right," because I needed it back because I was out. Yeah, they were. Yeah, I got a budget that that took a big it, toll. It, it, it killed, I mean, because I'm telling you something, Japanese wrestlers got more pride. They will come back at you no matter what. Mm. They can't match up with you, but they'll come back at you. (laughs) You know, the give and take kind of deal. It gets, it was, it's for real, man. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of tight work for a while.
1: And then I know you worked with Ming uh, as uh, most of the uh, professional wrestlers know him. I mean, uh, the the uh, the World Wrestling Federation, WWE uh, uh, audience know him as Haku. But um, you worked with him over there. Tell me about uh, what he was like at that time and the reputation he had.
0: Oh, man. Here, here's how Mean Ming... We worked a tag match right before we left WCW Mm. to go to Japan. It was Ming and Iron against me and Kevin Sullivan. Mm. And we're working in Cincinnati. And me and Ming did a spot where it was pretty wild. I mean, we're just the big tackle spots. And we got to this chop spot at the end. And I'll tell you something, we just chopped the living daylights out each other. I mean, they were oh. just violent. Oh. So that night, Ming come up to me and says, you big silverback. He says, we used to call each other silverbacks.
1: <laughs>
0: and uh, he says, I don't know what it is about. She says, but you bring the you bring the animal out of me. <laughs> so we did that spot that night. Aaron Anderson and Kevin Saul were just like, they are just blown away because, I mean, <laughs> It was wild. I mean, it was big, huge tackle spots, and it was everything. We did five minutes opening spots. Was, it was enough for the whole damn match. But we kept doing it every night and every night for three months, three weeks and three days in Japan. And I'll tell you, Ming, it, I love Ming. He's one of yeah. my best friends in this business. Yeah. He's one of the kindest, Coolest people I've ever met in my life, but the dude is a legit killer. I'm telling you right now, he's a legit, he's a badass, brother. He had that really long, huge, thick hair. And, you know, we're in the ring. We're out of the ring. We're just, me and him, we're going off. The people went nuts for that tour. We wrestled every night. We weren't supposed to, but they saw the first couple matches, and we worked each other every night. And men with that damn hair, I'd go to grab hair, and I would stick my thumb in his eye. Oh. And he would apologize to me. He goes, I'm sorry, brother. <laughs> I go, I just poked this guy in the eye, and I felt it like down to my first knuckle. My thumbnail went all the way in there.
1: Jeez. And
0: he apologized. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 I was, I mean, it just kind of like, this is really one. That's pretty
1: tough. Tough son of a bitch, yeah. A
0: lot of guys, you know, they put their hand on right. You "You son of a bitch. Ming apologized to me for having his eye there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, his reputation as a tough guy.
0: It's true, man. I'm telling you. And, you know, we went at it. And the last day, we're in the locker room. And, you know, a lot of guys shave with their chest and their arms and everything. I wasn't one of those guys, you know. And I put my singlet on that night for the last match. And when I put my singlet on, my hand brushed across my chest, and the hair fell off my chest. And I went, what the hell? And so I just kind of swiped my hand across my chest, and all the hairs falling off. And then all of a sudden... I look at my chest and it's like a yellowish green color. I'm going, what Sheet. the hell? Yeah. And I says, man, what, look at this." He goes, but uh, you, you better go see doctor. <laughs> he actually killed all the hair of my chest for a while. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all those chops.
0: Yeah, I was I mean, I was God. I they put me on penicillin, they got me, you know, antibiotics and everything. I mean, and I mean, he was, you know, we rocked him. There's a picture he and I where we came together on a tackle spot one time and the sweat just went flying like 12 feet in the air. It was just awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was, he was a perfect opponent for me in Japan. And I love that dude, man. He's one of the best people on this planet. Yeah. And everybody feels the same way about Ming. I mean, he is one of the most beloved guys in our sport. And I mean, it's, and he deserves to be, he's an awesome dude.
1: Yeah. Well, and he's passing it on now too. I, I saw him last year at the uh, StarCast and he had a, a bunch of these younger uh, fellows with him that were coming up in the business and he was, you know, training them and uh, Islanders, you know, that, uh, yep. and, he, and he's all passing it on kids. and they, and yeah, yeah.
0: And they all carry themselves so professionally.
1: Yep, exactly. It's
0: awesome. It's yeah. awesome to see it, and I mean, it, he he he's, he really brings these guys up right.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny and you mentioned that, Scott, because I remember when we were we were in this uh, the green room the area when and when he came in with the, the with the boys here with the guys that were with him, and they all came over and you know shook everyone's hand and it just brought me back to I remember the days when you'd go into a locker room and you know you'd go to every single person there because they're helping put food on your table basically. Sure. And it did. It took me back. It's funny you mentioned that how uh you know how he's passed that with with these guys and how respectful they are of the business. And it was oh, really just awesome to see. You know,
0: I I just ran into Ming and in Long Island or is it Long Island Is there a Long Island in California? Is it Long Island? Yeah. Long Beach. What was it? Long Beach. Long
1: Beach. Long Beach, California.
0: Yeah. Okay, so here we go. All right. Maybe hit me one time too many. But (laughs) anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: I I haven't seen Ming in uh, too long. Good, good, you know, eight, nine years. And uh, he was in the lobby of the hotel, and he's got his whole crew of the kids with him. You know, they're all it's new Japan shows coming in and yeah. the lobby's full of all these wrestlers. And, you know, I'm back around my, my, my new Japan friends and it's, it's really a cool deal. Yeah. It comes main walking. In and, and, uh, I just said, Ming And all of a sudden he like brother. And he yeah. just came over and we just, we hugged each other and we exchanged some, you know, words and, and I'm talking to him, and I look around the room, and everybody's paying attention to he and I,
1: yeah,
0: and his 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 kids, you know, the young, and they were just so respectful, and the way that they it, it we interacted after you know because hopefully these these kids now that are, see a couple of veterans that had you know great run working against each other and respected each other mm-hmm. and going through it. And what they heard from Ming, they watched him demonstrate it with me about right. how we care about each other, the boys, and how we take care of each other. And it was just, I mean, he demands so much respect, but people follow Ming. And it, it, it was just so neat to see this. And I just told him, I said, man, Ming, it's awesome how you, you know, his family was there. I mean, his sisters, his, Nieces and nephews, mm-hmm. and it was just—it's it, it just unbelievable, dude. The guy just carries himself so well. Yeah, and, and it was—it was super cool, man.
1: Yeah, he still can go out there too. He still looks like he could. Uh, oh
0: yeah. <laughs> still don't you want know, to mess with him. <laughs> I said to him that that night at the show. Yeah. I said, you know, I, I I was down by the ring. It was before the show, and I come down there. You know, I saw him walking around down there. And I says, Ming, man, I says, Man, I'm proud of your kids, man. They're doing great. He says, He looked at me, and goes, They do it as good as we did it though, brother. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I says, Ming, that was a whole different world, but I don't think uh, they do that anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think
0: they'd arrest people fucking for, for doing that. <laughs> 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 but uh, well, no he, he was he's just the best.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um as he's your wonderful. as your Go ahead.
0: He's one of my favorite subjects in the whole world. Yeah. When somebody asks about a wrestler, I, I'm glad to ask about him.
1: Yeah. Well, I imagine there's a few pages in your book about him as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and moving on with your with your career, though, uh, and uh, what many people remember you, you for were your years with the, the WCW. And uh, how did that, that transition happen for you? Because, you know, they, they did send people over there. Is that how... Uh, the connection came, and then they persuaded you to come and work in the states.
0: Well, what happened is, uh, New Japan. They, when once they get you, get you, you know, started to get you over where the fans are really started to come within. They yeah, they get rolling. They like to send you away for a year or two.
1: Uh-huh.
0: they do it to all their guys. Yeah, and uh, they but they. You know, typically didn't do it with the American guys, but they were, they had different plans with me. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like accepted as as a not a guy Gene Russell, but as a you know one of the, one, one of their native guys. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me and Benoit had that that title with New Japan. Uh-huh. They just they knew that we would have done anything to stay in the ring worked our asses off in the ring and they knew that we we're all in with New Japan mm-hmm. but they asked me to see if you can get some work and go get more seasoning and learn you come right back you know new uh, masa and I believe you know massa so just about that time New York called mm-hmm. and they wanted to give me a trial you know mm-hmm. if somebody they got out there somehow you know that New Japan was letting me. So I went to, you know, I went, Vince flew me into New Jersey there or whatever the heck it was. And uh, I interviewed with him
1: uh-huh.
0: and we came to an agreement. He says, I just need, you know, we just need to get you in a dark match. And uh, so I went to Orlando and or, no, uh, wasn't Orlando, but it was one of them cities of Florida Did worked a dark match. Mm-hmm. Flew all the way back to Vancouver, Washington. The week later, he gave me a call and he flew me all the way back out there. And he says, "Man, I'm gonna make you a superstar." And I, and I just asked him about the contract. And back then, they didn't uh, put anything in writing as far as right how much you know. And I didn't have to leave yeah. New Japan. They said right. you know, and I was, you know, the top guy, I mean, and I just couldn't in my heart, you know, go to New or go to New York without, you know, some kind of guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, you know, changed years later. So anyways, when I went back to my I you know, I, I'm not going to sign with New York. I, I'm going to stay here. Uh-huh. No problem. Then Eric called. Right. He says, "What the hell are you doing going to New York?" I says, "Well, hell, they called me." I not you know. He says, "Well, I'm with WCW now." I says, "I didn't know that," you know. And so, anyways, he wanted to bring me in. Uh huh. So then, Masa and the connection was already in place with WCW New Japan. Just they're starting to talk about working back and forth. Mm-hmm. So basically. I was kind of like the guy that was to go to WCW, eventually get put into NWO, and then we were to bring the NWO back to Japan, and that happened. Uh huh. So you know, WCW was awesome for me. It uh-huh. was it was a, it was a gr- great run. It just it, it did, a lot of people don't think it was awesome here for me, but it worked for me over there big time. Uh huh. Cause I was working both territories and I, you know, I sure, you know, I wish I'd had a better run WCW, but I wasn't going to let my new Japan deal go never, Uh, uh, you know, that was, that was who I am as far as in this business. But, you know, being a part of the NWO, being a part of you know, the night shows and the the Monday night wars and everything, it was flipping. Yeah. Yeah, And, you know, I was fortunate again, you know, because when I, you know, I left AWA, went to Canada for a while, Portland. People don't understand how hard it is much you struggle. I, I mean, I make $50 a night.
1: Yeah, yeah In yeah. Portland,
0: you know, you work it every yeah. night. Yeah. Live in half a trailer house. You know, I mean, you didn't have any money, You just, but you just keep going, you know, and then all of a sudden you get to Japan. We sold out every night in New Japan. I mean, they just sell out, sell out, sell out. It didn't matter where we were. They just, you know, we were on fire. Yeah. I remember one time we worked in Osaka, and Moss was pissed because only 98% sell out because there were some obstructed seats from some <laughs> magic show that was going to be next on next week. He said, I said, well, how do I mean, if they got the seats available, how could it be our fault? You know, yeah, we're working that, at Steiners, me and Hurts.
1: Yeah, still a sellout.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, oh, yeah. But anyways, uh, when I went to, to WCW, man, you know, my first night was March, Monday Nitro. And Nitros were sold out everywhere we went. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I was in front of big crowd, at the big crowd, at the big crowd. It was just, like, the business was just great. And you know to be a part of that for as long as I was, was always the positive. You know where I I got to work. You know it wasn't. Str- we never the companies I was working for we never struggled. Yeah. So that was cool. You know what I mean? Because there were you know a lot of times. You know I mean when I worked the Portland, and we we're struggling, brother. I mean I wrestled in front of six people one night.
1: Yeah,
0: that's tough. I mean, yeah, you that's
1: tough. you got to learn how to work a crowd then, huh? <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, I was working chairs there,
1: but
0: uh, <laughs> still, you went out and did what you do, you know. But uh, yeah. anyways, yeah. Uh, I was in the right place at the right time. It was awesome that, you know, I mean, and again, you know, like, I mean, working WWE, their house is always good. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, but it was different when it was WCW, it was just crazy good. I mean, yeah. the, the houses were just absolutely spectacular. New Japan, they were just awesome. And I mean, we sold the Budokan out like, boom, five minutes. I mean, it was just, it was great. You know I mean? And, uh, you know, I ain't you know, all, I'm not saying I was the one to sold them out. I, the, the people, the crew, the crew, everybody, you know, the office I, I work for is. You know, I mean, it was just top of the line was, and I was very fortunate to be part of all of them. Boom, yeah. you know two of the really, really good ones,
1: yeah, and you mentioned that the timing and and to have been a part of that the the Monday night wars and and have seen what was going on there, what was it like uh, not just from uh, you know uh, uh, an entertainer's viewpoint, but the atmosphere of that and what was going on. Uh, you know, it was week to week. It was just, it really was. It really was a war. Uh, oh, okay. And to be a part of that, what was that experience like for you?
0: it was awesome. I mean, Kevin Nash was the greatest, brother. He yeah. wanted to beat that so bad. It was just it was killing them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Kevin's just the greatest guy in the locker room anyways. I mean, just a riot. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we kept an eye on them. They had our show on in their locker room. We know that, and we had theirs on in our locker room. And you know, then of course, you like when you're in the ring, and there you, you try to find out who you're opposite of at that point in time, and who did better. Right. Okay. And you know, it was just it, you know, then Kevin would, you know, Eric really didn't do it, but Kevin would always say, "Okay, our numbers are this, and theirs are that." Mm-hmm. And you know the next week we're coming up you know all you know, the next you know we're a couple of points ahead of or three point, you know, and he's just i mean he's on top of it like a it was like a sports book with him you know yeah. <laughs> and it was it was great you know I did, he's a he's a really kevin's got a great sense of humor and he's funny, and it was just but you know and, and me you know i just i was kind of happy we were both doing good, you know what I mean yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was our you know I mean of course I want you want to work for the best company and be you know number one to everything, but I had never I mean Kevin wanted it. I mean it was crazy, yeah and you know and then you know I mean God you know when Hogan and Paul Nash and Eric Steiner brought you know everybody some of these. Deals we did in the ring. This place is just vibrating.
1: Yeah, it
0: was unbelievable. I mean, you got to be out there. I mean, it's just. I mean, you know, Hogan turning, flip this business out of here. I mean, they. Yeah. They, it, it was absolutely insane, and it was just you know it was cool being there. I remember Marcus says, "Can you feel that?" And I go, "What?" He says, and he just see we yeah, Marcus. He would always talk to you. Yeah. I says, "What do you mean?" He says, "Are you buzzing?" And I go, "What the hell are you talking about?" He says, "I can feel my body. It's buzzing. It's so loud." And I go, "Yeah, I'm buzzing." Yeah. <laughs> but it, it was actually like it was like that. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. it was it was great, man. It was well, it, it, was, it was good for the
1: business. A- yeah, it was good for the business all the way around and, and you guys are all competitors anyway. So, I mean, I think that oh, that's, we're, we're missing that, that, uh, that, that, that really helped, uh, you know, catapult the business to heights it had never seen before, as far as people, you know, audiences and, uh, it really was a, an incredible time.
0: Yeah, it was, it was the cool, I mean, I was so fortunate to be a part of that and, 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 you know, then W.O. was just, out of hand it was it's just it was just awesome and you know when we took it to Japan I mean it, it just took off like a rocket I mean mm-hmm. not a lot of fans understand how big it was in Japan yeah I when I would go to when I first started working in Japan when I'd go for a tour I'd get off the plane and I'd do a little press conference you know there'd be two three reporters there When when we came to Japan with NWO, we did a press conference, and there was, it was like 100,
1: 150. Wow. (laughs) Holy.
0: Yeah, it was just press.
1: Yeah, wow.
0: Blown up, blah, 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 blah. And I'm home. Holy. I mean, this is nuts. Yeah. We, we take, we take the, the three hour ride to the, you know, it's a long, it's not three hour drive, but with traffic, sometimes it's three hours Yeah, to the hotel. We walk into the Kilo Plaza and it's nothing but NWO shirts, the whole lobby. And this is a five-star hotel. It's just Jack. I mean, these people are going nuts and I'm just going, it's unbelievable. Uh, so anyways the next morning we you know we got these touring buses they're beautiful buses uh, and we got to leave at 9 in the morning so as I come you know I got room service the next morning you know you jet lagged out and you sleep all night and I come down the lobby fans are everywhere NWO everywhere uh, and you try to be cool with them and sign some stuff you know but you you know it's just too many yeah. So I'm walking out and all of a sudden here's our bus. And it's paid. It's got a twenty some thousand dollar paint job on it. And it's all NWO black <laughs> and white. It's just beautiful. And I'm just yes. going, my God. I mean, they bought in on this.
1: Yeah.
0: And it was I, I wrestled Peter Arts a year ago in the sumo palace for Anoki, <laughs> And there was probably I don't know. It was. They said it was sold, but I, I don't know if it was sold off. But there was probably at least a hundred NWO shirts in the crowd still.
1: Really? Still? Wow! <laughs> I'm just
0: going. This is so cool. <laughs> I mean, this is this is 20 years later, man. Yeah.
1: What a tribute. I,
0: they're just and they're throwing it up. The two sweet and they're just going crazy. Oh. And I just said, man, that is just. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you know, and you know, like the Four Horsemen or something. You know, they're like legendary. You know, I don't know. You know, I mean, when Rick goes and, and would do a show later on his career, I don't know if that happened. Probably did. Of course yeah. he did. Yeah. But you know, I'm not comparing myself to Rick by any means. What yeah. I'm saying is, years later, this is you know, this was here. That the NWO was here. And we mm-hmm. took it to Japan, and I'm telling you something—they took it to a whole nother level, brother. Oh, it was my. absolutely awesome.
1: Uh, that's fantastic. Um, I, I want to ask you about this uh, this story um, that I heard. I, it was one one of the shows that you did, but you, you mentioned this this tour to North Korea, and I was like, "What the hell?" Uh, can you give us? I, I, I imagine it's in the book, but whatever you could tell me about it, because I was just fascinated listening. I'm like, I, I got to hear more. Uh, tell It us, was awesome. I yeah, mean, what? Did, how did that story? How did that happen? When was it? And who was along? it was
0: 1995. Yeah. Was New Japan WCW did a combined show over there. Yeah. Anoki was, you know, the guy's crazy, man. He's the greatest guy. <laughs> Yeah. The most over-professional wrestler I've ever seen in my life. Oh. He's just, he's a phenom. And the Japanese people love this guy. And I mean, and he's, you know, he fought Muhammad Ali. That, met, you know, when Ali was the champ and, you know, he wrestled Ali. And he, Wild Water Sports and Ho Nine Yards. And he he did some, you know, noki's very, very popular guy. Mm. Especially in Japan, of course. He had this thing about a friendship tour in North Korea, <laughs> and he put it together. And I mean, uh, you know, Ricky Dozon from North Korea was pretty much introduced pro wrestling to Japan. And uh, one day we're in the locker room, and Masahara come up to me. and says, "End of this tour, we go to North Korea." I says, "What?" Yeah. yeah North Korea huh? really <laughs> and I go and I started thinking I'm going North Korea has got I mean you know I was a young guy back then I didn't really know what's going on you know and I just thought all right you know I mean I <laughs> trust muscle anyway yeah and then my uh choto and, and a couple of the Japanese boys Tenzan and Kojima they're freaking out North Korea yeah. you know they want to kill us I says what and so, yeah, I started learning learn more about it, and, you know, communists, and we haven't been there since the Korean War and all this yeah. crap, and we had no idea what we were expecting. Then Muhammad Ali was involved, oh. and that was cool as hell. Yeah. So, you know, I started you know, I started to feel better about it, I mean, because they're not going to mess with this guy, right? Yeah. And then Rick Flair, you know, was one of the guys, and Hawk got to go, and Benoit, and, Steiner Brothers, and we got a pretty Uh much our whole crew besides Korean wrestlers because we had some Korean wrestlers that would they'd have killed them if they'd got there. (laughs) And (laughs) serious, yeah. And so, anyways, when we get to North, you know, we take a bull train up to Nagoya, and then we're to catch the flight to North Korea. They sent a plane from North Korea to pick us up. Uh This plane went. I mean, to say it was held together by duct tape would probably give it too much. Uh,
1: <laughs> oh,
0: my God. I mean, this damn thing was a relic. And it, I mean, it was rattling around. I'm going, why are we Jeez. even doing I mean, and, you know, we're flying along. And, you know, I mean, there's so many stories. The plane ride before and everything, interaction with Muhammad Ali was just phenomenal. Yeah. But the thing that happened in North Korea with, with, Pertaining to myself was what they wouldn't let us call home. Yeah, and I just was married. I just got married, and my wife. You know, I mean, I haven't talked to her, and I, you know, I just left Japan right to North Korea. I mean, so finally, after three days, I finally kept trying to call, but the elevator was broke. I had to run down these stairs seven floors or go down the basement. Give their operator the telephone number. They'd ring your room. So I'd have to beat my, you know, run all the way upstairs. Oh. By the time I could hear the phone ringing down my room, by the time I, when I opened the door up, phone stopped ringing.
1: Oh, jeez!
0: And I did this every day, three, four times a day. So finally, three days, I make it. And I get my wife, my wife on the phone. She's madder than hell at me. Uh, uh. She accused me of going out partying and not you know, kind of <laughs> North a <country> Korea. relationship. <laughs> I said, Tammy, I said, you don't understand. She is yeah. mad as, as you know, she's hot. Yeah. And I says, Tammy, you don't understand what's going on there. And she just I mean, she let me have it. I says and all I said, I says, You don't know what kind of shithole this is. The phone went quick. And I went, she hung up on me. uh, I can't believe it. She hung up on me. So I'm sitting there in my room. I'm going, what the hell? Next thing you know, I get this banging on my door. And it was so hard. When I go to answer the door, I'm thinking about beating the guy's ass on the other side of the door. uh That's how hard to hit the door. And it was military guys and this little dude that was assigned to me. And they started telling him, you know, what are you doing? Saying bad things about North Korea? You can't do that. I said, what? And they took me away. And right down in the basement of the place, at right they walked me right past the operator place room where I was making these phone calls. It was like an under, underground tunnel. And they Jeez. brought me and put me in a room. And to <laughs> tell you that I thought I was done, yeah. I thought it was over.
1: Wow! They were
0: so mad at me. It was unbelievable. And this ain't even, this is just a little bit of a story. And I mean, it was crazy. And, uh, it just, you know, the, the shows and everything that happened there was, I mean, I'm glad I did it now. But man, I will tell you what, what they put Rick Flair through is absolutely insane. What they wanted him to
1: say and the speech they wanted. mean, they like propaganda. they what they. Yeah, I was. Rick was losing
0: it. I had Rick <laughs> didn't get more than ten feet away from me or the Steiner brothers the whole time. I mean, he thought we're. He thought they were to kill us, and you know yeah. I. At one point in time, I did too. And, you know, the shows, you know, there are 195,000 people at these outdoor shows. It's just, um, you know, the crowd was amazing. Uh The crowd size, they they were mad because we weren't killing each other. I mean, they wanted people dead. (laughs) It was just different. But, you know, I mean, I could tell you more, but, you know, it's in the book and it's, it's, you know, Eric Bischoff did a tweet the other day. He said, "You really want the real story? What happened in North Korea? You, you, you need to read this guy's book." Yeah. And I'm telling you, it's in there. And uh, <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah, but it was—you know—we did it. You know, and it was cool. You know, we did. You know, I got the—I got to work a main event first night with Hashimoto, for 195,000 people. You know, and I was just. You know, I was basically five, six years into the business and, mm. you know, I, I never thought I'd wrestle in front of, you know, anything like that. And, you know, there's a lot of things that happen throughout your career and, and certain kind of surprise, you know, I mean, uh, you, you know, I mean, me and Hawk worked in a, in a Tokyo Dome one time mm-hmm. and. Uh, You know, seventy seven thousand people sold all show. Jeez. Here's me, my high school partner, buddy, Uh best friend. And we're out there trading paint like a couple (laughs) madmen. And we did this double clothesline spot where we just about killed each other. And I mean we panned out, we laid out on the mat, and Hattori, when we hit each other, he went, Oh my god. And he started Mm -hmm. counting. He goes, One, are you okay? You know, he's doing the 10-guy. Yeah, like, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And I'm laying there, and Hawk's laying there, and he, he's pointing one way, I'm pointing the other way. And I just remember my chest going up and down, and I know I got a concussion. <laughs> just You know, I mean, I'm just knocked, and all of a sudden, Hawk goes, hey, Norty. And I says, yeah, Mike. He goes, could you imagine how much I would have hurt if we didn't eat, didn't love each other so much <laughs> yeah. and here's two guys went to high school together yeah laying in the middle of the ring for of seventy some thousand people and we just got this you know this little pause for a minute and we're just kind
1: of, oh, that's we're awesome. just
0: talking back and forth it was unbelievable you know what I mean it's just it's crazy with this you know the experiences in the business and things that you think about or you know, experience you know and uh you know i never thought i wrestle in front of 195 000 people i never thought i'd meet muhammad ali yeah none of that stuff you know but we it all made that happen you know i mean like i was it was awesome you know just meeting Stone, and then not just meeting Stone. Stone was a great dude it was cool yeah. as hell but you know it, all these we're pretty lucky
1: yeah no kidding you, uh, so what can you tell me about that guy in Minneapolis that you were a bodyguard for <laughs> and then the purple rain tours? Super cool dude, man. I mean, really? uh,
0: I've, I've always told this story about we were on the road one time and, uh, in Philadelphia and there, you know, he had a couple different teams of bodyguards and sometimes you're off, sometimes you're not. Mm-hmm. My crew was on, or the crew I worked with was on, and he uh, we went to a barbecue joint. And at uh, this barbecue oh. joint, uh, there was about 15 people at our party. And it was, you know, he, he would buy the whole restaurant. So he, nobody's in the restaurant. You just go with, with you know, princes, guys, whatever. And it was like that, so anyways, uh, we're in there, and you know' we're just it's a normal you know you just go in there and eat and just you know I'm working, but I'm not so anyways, uh, I noticed the kitchen staff was just going crazy, I mean there there was eight, ten people back there, cooks, and they're just I mean, and I'm just going, what the heck are they I mean, we got fifteen people here, and they're making I said they gotta enough food out here for. I mean, good night. Look at this place, you know, because we got to move around. We got to be, you know. So what he did that night is he bought four four meals for each chair in the restaurant, and they're putting all these meals together in these styrofoam things and they're stacking them on these tables and bagging them up, and and then they put them on a van, two vans full, mm-hmm. and they brought them to a homeless shelter. But, you know, nobody knew that. he, You know, they didn't tell that he just did this. He just did it. Right. He never had to be, you know, he never had to be marketed or make anybody aware of it. And, you know, I was talking to one of the the road guys, and I said, God, that is super cool. He, said, he does that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah. So that's something that sticks out. You know, it's really cool, you know. And just being around a guy like that, that was cool, too. I mean, yeah, I, was, I
1: mean, did you get a chance to really be around Prince? I mean, did, were you actually? No,
0: no. I mean, I didn't last very long, and uh, you know, I mean, I worked around the guy, of course, but yeah, I didn't. You know, I, I, it's different because it, that's that time. It's so busy. Things are. It's just, and you know. I'm there to take care of one thing one thing only, security. You know, I mean, right, back right, then, it, yeah. was, it was cool. I didn't really know what the hell was going on. I met his, I arm wrestled his his living bodyguard in Vegas. <laughs> and he, his name is Chick. He's this big, giant guy with long hair. And I bought Tor's arm off. I heard him, actually, on the table. He couldn't believe, a, you know, and then we're talking. He said, you're from Minneapolis? And he offered me a job right then and there. Mm-hmm. So that's how that happened, you know. And next thing you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm working for him. So, But there's a lot of things that I can't talk about or I won't. I, I really didn't put it in my book as you know, if they find out about a podcast like this, uh, they're, yeah. you know, they're going to be that crazy about it. That's all
1: right. Yeah, no, no,
0: no, but no I mean, worries at all. Enough, I signed enough paperwork. Uh, matter of fact, I brought it up to a lawyer. I says, "Can I do this?" He says, "I'd, I'd yeah. advise against it." You know, because <laughs> I remember, like after our working form, and then when my arm wrestling career started taking off, and I'd get interviewed in Minneapolis, and I was on a Twin Cities. TV show one time and uh, made mention of it. Yeah, his lawyers contacted me, and really? uh, they, 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 yeah, they got they were pissed. Huh. And they they reminded me of the fact that I signed all these confidential paperwork and everything, and uh, you know don't push it. And I said, okay, yeah, no <laughs>
1: right You know, I that. mean,
0: every, uh, all my buddies in the bar and everything, you I mean, uh, know.
1: Scott, really, you've been an, an awesome guest, and and folks, uh, I, I think you can hear it in, in his voice. He put everything into this book, and and, uh, and is it, incredibly inspirational, and a tribute to your friends, which is really awesome too. Wow! Uh, once again, there, there's no dots in here. I hope it's just Scott Flashnorton.com. Yep. Okay, folks, yep. Uh, ch- check it out. And Scott, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Vegas. Uh, we'll we'll definitely catch up there. But thank you so much for being a guest on Primetime.
0: Hey, uh, thank you, and, uh, and sure, I missed this, this business so much, and be able to share this with you for the last hour, and just go over things. It just makes it makes you miss it more. And but I really appreciate the time, and I thank you for the the opportunity to be on your show, and you, hey, you do you got a great show, and uh, I really appreciate it.
1: Well, no question. Scott Norton left us wanting more. And uh, can you imagine, though, uh, two kids from Minnesota, I'm going back to that story uh, of him and Hawk, laying in the middle of a ring in in the Tokyo Dome in front of thousands and thousands of people after having just knocked each other's heads off and looking at uh, each other and and, uh, Hawk saying, good thing we love each other, brother. (laughs) I mean, just imagine that. That just blows me away. And they also had to be wondering, you know, who would have thought, the two of us, two kids, all the way from bouncing together in Minneapolis. And I'm also dying to know more about that trip to North Korea and Ric Flair freaking out. Uh, And that was just great stuff. Uh, You want to get the entire story, be sure to check out his book. Scott Norton Strong Style is coming out very soon. Uh, we've got some great interviews really lined up in the coming weeks. We've already uh, got them in the can. Of course, it's going to be up to our fabulous Patreon members to decide, uh, which ones you're going to hear first. And that's just one of the great perks of being a member, folks, if you'd like to get in on all the fun. And May is a great month to join us. We've got that uh, great watch-along with Diana Hart-Smith is going to join us for that uh, Summer 92 watch-along of that match between Davey Boy and Bret Hart. And, of course, StarCast is coming up, and we are bringing that event to you. So uh, join us. You can do that uh, right now. May is just about to, uh, or it's here already. Uh, you can do that by joining us on Patreon.com slash Primetime Mooney. Patreon.com slash Primetime Mooney. Come and join us, will ya? Also, please continue to support the podcast by engaging with our great sponsors. Get yourself a t-shirt uh, from the PTSM collection at MooneyTees.com. It is all greatly appreciated. Until next time, thanks for listening, everybody. I am Sean Mooney, and I am out.